With your Bibles this morning, please turn to 2 Kings chapter 18. 2 Kings chapter 18. If you do not own a Bible and you're not able to turn in a Bible on, on uh, Sunday mornings or any morning, uh, we want you to have a Bible. We've had a Bible fund where people have given for some time and we buy Bibles and give them away. So if you need a Bible, there's Bibles over here on this table or on the table in the vestibule. You come and pick yourself up a Bible, write your name in it. It's yours to own and keep and read and to bring on Sunday mornings. We'd love to have you in the word with us and we'll just keep buying more Bibles and keep giving them away until everybody has a chance to have the word of God in their hands. This morning with your Bibles, as we turn to 2 Kings chapter 18, I want to review what's been happening so far. We've been following the life of a king named Hezekiah. His father was also the king of Judah before him, but was evil, had led the, the kingdom into idolatry. And yet Hezekiah, when he's 25 years old, gets the kingship. And in the very first month of his first year, he says, we're going to reform. We're going to go back to, to keeping our attention, our eyes, our hearts fixed on the Lord. So we spent the last several weeks focusing on how they reformed themselves, that God was doing a work in their heart and it came out in the ways that they were living their life as a nation. And so they came in, they restored temple worship. They restored the great holiday of Passover. If you remember, they came and had this huge celebration for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And they, it was so good after seven days, they said, let's celebrate for another seven days. And then last week we saw that that spilled out into their community life. They went back and before ever going back to their jobs or anything else, they went and made sure they were destroying all the other idols and that God was first in their hearts. Now that became relevant for right there in Jerusalem and, and some people in Judah, but people who were coming from the North, which is called Samaria and Israel, they came down for the holiday and they were kind of like, Hey, this is kind of exciting that we're reforming. But when they went back, they went back not to be with God in those places, but they begin to bring back into their lives the idolatry and the adultery with foreign gods that they were committing. And so they were kind of syncretizing and half-hearted. They really didn't truly love God. They were just there for the holiday meal. And then they went home. Well, what ends up happening is the greatest nation on earth, Assyria, the enemy, has been coming over and capturing all these other nations and cities. And it has had a big pressure upon Judah and Jerusalem. And Hezekiah as the king is watching this enemy come closer and closer and closer. And at times he's, as a political leader, tried to make alliances. He's tried to get Egypt that's down in the south to come up and help him out. Uh, and there's just a lot of stuff going on. So he's trying to look at the situation and say, what's best in keeping our eyes on God and also making sure that we're still a nation that we can survive. What do I do as king? And so he's watching this, uh, this king of Assyria march closer and closer and closer. And so in this, we pick up the story in 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 9. It says, in the fourth year of King Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Shalemaneser, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria and besieged it. And at the end of three years, he took it. In the sixth year of Hezekiah, which was the ninth year of Hoshea, king of Israel, Samaria was taken. The king of Assyria carried away the Israelites away to Assyria and put them in Halah and on the Habor, the river of Gozan, and in the cities of the Medes, because they did not obey the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed his covenant, even all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded. They neither listened nor obeyed. So the enemy king is coming over and he's taken city by city, land by land. So he's captured uh, the Israelites in the north and then the Samaritans in the middle. And he's coming to Judah 
He's coming to Judah. Now, he, he would take those Israelites and Samaritans and he took them over into Assyria and put them into various cities. They hadn't complied, and so they were captives over there. So Hezekiah is watching this. We're next. We're next. And at that time, Assyria has a king change. And so another king named Sennacherib comes into power. It says in the 14th year. So Hezekiah spent 10 years watching this guy get closer and closer and closer. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. So now Sennacherib has gotten into the nation of Hezekiah's group, Judah. And all the cities are starting to go down closer and closer he gets. And it says in verse 14, and Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria at Lachish saying, I, I have done wrong. Withdraw from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will bear. And the king of Assyria required of Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. And Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house. At that time, Hezekiah stripped the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the doorposts that Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. So as they're getting closer, Hezekiah is like, I got to make this right with this foreign king. So he asks him, what can I do to keep you from destroying my city? And the king, Sennacherib, says this, I want you to pay me a bunch. A bunch of silver and a bunch of gold. There's over 11 tons of silver that Sennacherib required. Uh, it was over a ton of gold that Sennacherib uh, required. So when Hezekiah heard that, he's like, where am I going to get gold? And where am I going to get silver? And the one place in Jerusalem where they had silver and gold was at the temple of the Lord. He says, if I've got to pay that, the only thing I have here is the stuff that we've been working on for the last 14 years. Remember, Hezekiah has been reforming their worship, reforming the temple. It said here that it was Hezekiah who had gone and overlaid the doors with gold. And now he's got to go and strip off all that gold and go give it to an enemy king. But he did it. And he gives it. And you would think, okay, well, good. He, he did something. God, I'm sure that was hard. Can you imagine somebody coming in on us and we say, what do you require? They say, the best stained glass in the world. We say, well, this is, this is all we got. We give them the stained glass. They say, we want pews. We give them the pews. You put a lot of hard work and effort into this place, making it a place of worship, right? Can you imagine having to give all that up and send it over here to protect? That's what he's doing. And so he gives all that up, and you would think for a moment he'd get a rest, and, and the king would leave him alone. But no, all he did was come and rob him. Because we, as we go in the story, this is what happens. And the king of Assyria sent Tartan, uh, the Rabsaris, and the Rapshakan, with a great army from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. So the king of Assyria is like, thanks for all your gold and silver. And now I'm coming to your door. And he sends these leaders over to come surround Jerusalem. And it says, and when they arrived, they came to Jerusalem. Uh, excuse me. When they arrived, they came and stood by the conduit of the upper pool, which is on the highway to the washer's field. And they called for the king. And there came out to them Eliakim, the son of Hilkah, who was over the household, and Shibna, the secretary, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder. So these leaders come out from Assyria, and they surround Jerusalem, and they stand in this, uh, this little conduit. And at this time, Hezekiah has been doing all these other things to help protect the city. He's rebuilt the wall. He's fortified it. He's locked them in. And so you have these uh, oppressors on the outside, and they're calling up 
to these leaders that Hezekiah has sent to talk with them. And so here's how the conversation goes. And the Rabshakeh, the leader from Assyria, said to them, say to Hezekiah, thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, on what do you rest this trust of yours? (laughs) Do you think that mere words are strategy and power for war? In whom do you now trust that you have rebelled against me? Behold, you're trusting now in Egypt, that broken reed of a staff with which, uh, which will pierce the hand of any man who leans on it. Such is Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to all who trust on him. He, so he says, hey, look, you see us coming and you think Egypt's going to help you out? No. Imagine if you had a walking cane and instead of having that nice sanded round top to it, it was just a spear or a knife on the top of it. And that's what he says. Egypt, you think you're resting on it? No, it's like putting your hand on the top of a spear that's on top of your cane. It's not helping you at all. He's going to wound you too. So Egypt, you can't put your trust in Egypt is what he's saying. Then he goes on and says this. But if you say to me, oh, we trust in the Lord, our God. Is it not he whose high places and altars Hezekiah has removed saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall come worship before this altar in Jerusalem. So they're altering, they're lying about history. Remember when they out and destroyed all the altars and tore them down? Hezekiah wasn't destroying God's altars. He was destroying all the enemy altars and called everybody to the place of worship that God had said, have it in Jerusalem. But now he's telling them, wasn't it Hezekiah that said, don't depend on your God. Let's break down all these things. Hezekiah is just thinking about himself. So now they're trying to play with the minds of the people um, saying you can't even depend on Hezekiah. Verse 23, uh, come now, make a wager with my master, the king of Assyria. I'll give you 2000 horses if you're able to, on your part, set riders upon them. So he says, even if the king of Assyria for this battle was to give you horses, you guys don't even have guys who can ride them. We'll give you 2000 horses, but you don't have anybody, whether it's they don't have them available or don't have them trained up to ride horses. I don't know which it was, but they didn't have them. So now they're saying your army is weak. You have nothing to withstand. No warriors to help yourself out. What are you going to depend on now? He goes on in verse 24. How then can you repulse even a single captain among the least of my master's servants when you trust in Egypt for chariots and horsemen? Moreover, It is without the Lord. Uh, Is it without the Lord that I have come up against this place to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. So you know what they're doing right now? They're just trash talking. You ever heard of trash talking? Uh, Later today in the Super Bowl, there will be trash talking. Okay, trash talking is when uh, usually one athlete says to another athlete, just anything. It may be something true. It may be a lie. It may be be about their mama. It may be about how ugly they are. I don't know. They just say whatever ugly they can into the ear of the opponent to get them discouraged, to make them think they don't even have a chance. I remember a a great story about Larry Bird. Larry Bird's a Hall of Fame basketball player who back in the day, there was not really anybody like him. And I remember shooting-wise, he was the best. He'd go to the three-point competition every year. And two years in a row, he had won the three-point competition. And so the third year came, and he was in the locker room with the other opponents. Now, this is supposed to be kind of a friendly, you know, see who's got the best three-pointer challenge. And so they're in the locker room before the three-point challenge, getting ready to go out to the three-point competition. And Larry Bird says to everybody else in the room before they go out to, to shoot, he says, which one of you is going to come in second place? Now, wouldn't that be intimidating? The guy who's already won the two in front of you says to every one of you, which one of you is going to lose to me? 
Nobody is going to beat me. He's already got that in their minds before they go out there and ever shoot a shot. So I can imagine every time they're shooting, they're like, how am I going to beat this guy? How am I? And you get, you know what? He won his third. <laughs> he won. He was that good. That's trash talking. You get into the head of the opponent. Thinking before there's ever the actual fight, you're already saying, what are you trusting in? You think you even got a shot? And so they're calling this up to them. Leader to leader. They're shouting it out. And, and um, so here's the response from the Jewish people, uh, the Jewish leaders. Verse 26, then Elikam, the king of Hilkiah, and uh, Shebna and Joah said to the Rabshakeh, please speak to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it. Don't speak to us in the language of Judah within the, uh, Judah within, uh, the hearing of the people who are on the wall. So they're like, okay, we can talk business in the foreign language we understand it but don't say it so that all of our other people can understand we don't want them to get discouraged just just talk to us in your language but that's not what they do verse 27 but the rapshakos said to them as my master sent me to speak these words to your master and to you and not to the men sitting on the wall who are doomed with you to eat their own dung and to drink their own urine now that's potty talk Okay, Um, in our house, that kind of talk doesn't go on. Uh, But here they are. I mean, they're all out saying, shouldn't these other people hear how awful it's going to be? How how much more strong we are than you and your city and your God. They need to hear the facts. That there is no way that they are going to be spared. And if they need to hear the truth, they need to know that if they defy the king of Assyria, they're going to, in fact, eat their poop and drink their pee. Can we say that in church? It's in the word of God. I'm just saying what they said. Why? Because it causes us to realize how desperate the situation is. Can you imagine somebody coming and saying that? You have such a bad chance that you will never eat bread again. You will never have grits. You will just have what he said. Okay? That's what you're going to get. That's pretty bad. That's in the Bible. Okay? That's trash talk. And it's not on a football field. It's not on a basketball court. It was about a war that was about to happen. That, that's tough. We've got bullies, right? We've got bullies around. They had a bully standing right outside their wall. What are they going to do? And the, the thing is, most of it was true. Judah didn't have a lot of skilled men on horsemen. They didn't have a whole lot going for them. Every other city has come down. Who are they going to trust in? Who are they going to trust in? Verse 28 goes on and says, Then the Rapshakah, the leader, stood and called out in a loud voice in the language of Judah. Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you out of my hand. Do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying, The Lord will surely deliver us, and this city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Don't listen to Hezekiah, for for thus says the king of Assyria, Make your peace with me, and come out to me, and then each one of you will eat of his own vine, and each one of you uh, his own fig tree, and each one of you will drink the water from his own cistern, until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, A land of grain and wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey that you may live and not die. Don't listen to Hezekiah when he misleads you by saying the Lord will deliver us. (laughs) Has any of the gods and the nations ever delivered 
his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharavim, Hena, and Iva? Have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? Who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their lands out of my hand? That the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand. So then they finally come and they appeal to the people and say this. Hey, if you come aside, you won't eat the poop and the pee. If you come with me, you're going to have your own wine. You're going to have good food. You're going to be able to drink good, pure water. We're going to give you the best. And, and after we're done here, we're going to go to another place just like your own. It's just over there on the other side. It's just a little walk from here. And you know what? You're going to have great food. It's a good land. It's, flow, it's, got, it's got olive trees and wine. You're going to be cared for. How would, how would that sound? Sound a little bit better than their other offer at this time. And then he says, and that God of yours, don't believe Hezekiah when he says God will deliver you. Has he helped or has any other God helped anybody else? There is no match for the king of Assyria. Now, a lot of these things that seems so long ago, thousands of years ago, foreign kings, other languages, not us. Until you put yourself in the situation where you're at. Consider your circumstances and maybe those in your life where there has been some type of enemy coming your way. It may be a circumstance. It may be a life change. It may be a person, a relationship. Something is heading your way. And it's not even always your fault that it happened. Usually it's not. You kind of got thrown into that circumstance, right? And you stand there, and suddenly you have a choice to make. Really, has God let this thing come closer and closer and closer and put me into a hard situation? Can I trust him in this moment, or or should I do it the way that the world does it? Because things have gotten so bad, if I just somehow make myself more money, if I give myself more time, if I take more vacation, if I make myself more friends, if I get smarter, if I have more technology around me, if I just go to church more, if I I do a bunch of things, I will somehow deliver myself because when I look at the world, they look like they're doing pretty good. The crud that I'm having to eat and drink right now doesn't look very good, but wait a second, those people aren't following God and look how good they've got it. Isn't that always tempting? But what about me in my fortified city? I feel a little trapped, God. I feel like I'm getting crushed. I don't know where to go. I don't know where to do. I don't know how I'm going to make it. You know that situation I'm talking about? You're just like the Jews and you're just like Hezekiah. And the world and the enemy, and sometimes your own heart will trash talk you and say, you don't have a chance if you stay with God. You know what? God is lying to you. He knows that if you go and do it your own way, you'll get what's actually desirable. You'll get something good. Those are the exact same words that the Satan, the serpent, said to Eve in the garden, wasn't it? God knows That if you eat of this tree, 
You'll be like him, knowing good and evil. You don't need God. Don't depend on God. What he said to you was a lie. What you need to do is take matters into your own hand, trust somebody else or something else that has proven themselves, and go to that. See, we're just like that situation. It's always a decision of, am I going to believe God and his word? Or am I going to lose hope? Am I going to lose my standing? Am I going to stop persevering? Am I going to stop remembering all the times before he's always delivered me? And then in this moment say, not this time, Lord, I, 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 I'm going to go with him. I'm going to go with her. I'm going to go with them. I'm going to go with what the world's doing. I'm going to go with my gut. <laughs> that one's going to get you in trouble, let me tell you. Because our guts... Paul actually says in the New Testament, our guts a lot of times are a false God where we go and do things just to fill our belly. The God of our stomach, he calls it. Trust God in his word. We don't know why he allows the enemies to get closer. We don't always know the reasons that that has occurred, but that doesn't mean in those moments you can suddenly say, I'm out. On this hand, I fold. I am not all in for God, I'm actually betting on the enemy to win this one. No. Now is the time to take heart and say, God has always been faithful. He has always been good. He will not let me down. And I'm not talking about the fact that you might make more money or you might live one more day on this earth. What I'm saying is God has been so working in your life because he loved you to save you from your sin and to save you from death that this will be a life that extends not just however many times you take a breath on this earth, but for eternity you'll be with the one who said, I defeated death and I defeated Satan and I defeated your sin. Who else are you going to go to? He's always been good to you. So you might not know all the reasons, but you have to know this. He is doing it to deliver you unto eternity. He is. He absolutely is. Sometimes we want to build up other circumstances to make ourselves feel better. But don't trust in what men and women trust in. Don't trust in more money. Don't trust in more people. Don't trust in what's popular. Don't trust in what the gut is always telling you. Because there is one who speaks truth all the time. It's Jesus. And it, it ends up like this. Verse 36. But the people were silent and answered him not a word. For the king's command was, do not answer him. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkah, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him the words of the Rabshakeh. As soon as King Hezekiah heard it. He tore his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. It's a distressing time. It's so distressing. They actually ripped their clothes, which was a sign to them of just being kind of in sorrow and mourning and distress. And they together are crying. But I love what Hezekiah does. In a moment when he doesn't know how things are going to play out, he goes straight to the house of the Lord. Not that he would just be in a building. He goes to seek God, God, remind me, remind me of your faithfulness, remind me that this isn't about what I see. This is about who you are and what you do and what you care about, what you're capable of doing in my life, in the life of this country. Lord, keep me. When that enemy comes to you. That is your prayer, Lord, keep me. Keep me steadfast. 
as the enemy comes close and it's like, why are things like this? And we look at it, our eyes will deceive us. The way we want things to go will deceive us for what God's purposes might be. My mom has been teaching a Bible study. She's actually teaching the Bible study, a sprint through the Bible. Remember we did that? And we sprint right through it. It was thir- uh, 12, 13 weeks we went through that. Um, she's doing it over the course of a whole year. So she's told me it's the marathon through the Bible. But um, here, they've gone through the Old Testament. And now they're going through the New Testament. And so they'll use the same uh, study material that we used. And they actually watch the DVDs from here at Unity Church. And I'm always, I'm always thankful because uh, the setup that we've got here with the DVDs and the CDs. And then we go and post all those sermons online. We have no idea where the Word of God is getting into. And here it was in a, li- in a Bible study over on the other side of the country. Do you know that almost 1,500 people have downloaded sermons off our website? And we look into our crowd and say, well, we've got, what, uh, 82 or something? No, like, we have no idea what God is doing with the seed that he's scattering. And so over in Seattle, this group is studying this Bible study, and they just started the New Testament. And so some more women signed up into the Bible study. Several of them, uh, very little experience in church and in Bible studies, don't really know that much. And a couple of them, not believers. They've somehow stumbled into the church. They got invited or something, and they've signed up for this Bible study. So they're coming, learning about Jesus for the first time with lots of questions, lots of baggage, lots of enemies, lots of sin. They're in need of help. There's one particular lady. She came with her sister, and she's just been skeptic and asking these questions and kind of kind of prodding. And, and so my mom's just really been praying for her and asking us to pray. And uh, the other night she said... Um, we're coming to the portion where they were actually going to watch the sermon from here at Unity Church on the sacrifice of Jesus. When the, the curtain of the temple was torn from top to bottom. And she said, would you, would you please, over there in North Carolina, pray for this, this woman? She's been asking questions, and the Lord might bring it up. And I, I'm just praying that the Lord would move in her heart. So we said, yeah, yeah, we'll pray. So we prayed. And, uh, and uh, after the Bible study, uh, the next day, my mom says, you, please, please call me. Um, so I called my mom and I said, well, how did it go? And she says, um, it, was a, it was amazing. Let me tell you what happened. She says, first of all, I was super discouraged. I said, well, mom, why were you discouraged? She said, well, we've got a group of like eight or ten people that normally show up and only four people showed up. Have you ever come to church and you're like, well, there's not many people here. I'm kind of discouraged by how many people we have today. Kind of like when they were in Jerusalem looking out and they say, we don't really have anybody, yeah, to work the horses. We don't have anybody who can fight. Like, what, what is going to happen? My mom is standing there at the door inviting four people in going like, well, I guess it's not a very good Bible study tonight. They go through the Bible study. They watch the sermon. They, uh, questions are being asked. And so finally the Bible study is over. And people are going home. And uh, a lot of people... Uh, the three other people dismissed with this one gal stays behind at the door. And she says, you know, what? I just I have more questions about Jesus. And the other people had already left. My mom says, well, why don't you come back in and let's let's talk about those things. So she comes in and then the, the gal just asks all of her questions. And my mom's going through the scriptures and telling her, uh, you know, the answers according to the scriptures. And and finally, this woman is like, I'm ready to pray for salvation. Like, I, I want to ask God to forgive me. Like, how do I do that? And my mom prayed with this gal, and she came to faith. 
And when my mom looks back at like, well, the circumstances didn't look that good. We didn't have all the people in the crowd. And she looked back and, and realized it was actually God's way of working it out that night that only the right people showed up. She said that two of the people who didn't show up, one was the gal's sister, who her, uh, her sister, she would oftentimes kind of use as a crutch and wouldn't really get into things. And her sister was sick. She couldn't even go that night. So it kind of released her to really be vulnerable and to ask the questions. Another gal who had come uh, always has the best intentions, but always rabbit trails the conversation. And so, uh, the, uh, in fact, the week previous, when the gal had stayed behind to ask questions, this other lady who was leaving heard that there was questions, came back in and took the conversation off onto Christian TV and all kinds of garbage. Um, and so uh, my mom said that gal wasn't there. And it was just presented as an isolated moment where we could share Jesus. What would have happened if, they had put their full dependence on how many people were at that Bible study or getting the answers just right. You know, we don't always see the situation the way God sees it. The situation that you're in, you may be seeing it from your gut situation, the way the world will look at it. Look at it the way God might look at it. You know the reason why God a lot of times brings a lot of, uh, these situations about where it is so tremendously difficult that there is nothing else that can help you. You look absolutely on the ropes. You know why God puts you in that situation? He wants you in that situation so that you could you could never, ever say that there might be something else that could save me. He wants to get you into position that the only way that you can be rescued. Is him. His goal in every situation is to get you to put all of your dependency upon him, that it might be all about him and his power and his salvation and his his coming and his going from all of eternity that he might be everything for you. And so he'll begin to strip things away, sometimes allowing you to go through really hard things. So that you only have one cry left, and that is Jesus. It's only you. I need your help. We have a really, really, really hard time in our place because we have so much else we can come to depend on. We've got medical insurance, take care of it, or maybe sometimes not. But there's something else. Sometimes we go and depend on Twinkies. You know, we just need something to comfort me a little bit. Sometimes we. We rely on just getting away from people. Sometimes we rely on just getting more people around. It's really hard because we have all those things accessible to us to depend on. And sometimes a lot God allows us to be dependent upon brothers and sisters in the Lord and family and, you know. But isn't it Jesus who said when Satan came to tempt him, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every what? Every word. That comes from the mouth of God. When you get into that place where the enemy is trash talking you. And even your own heart begins to turn on you. You come in those moments and you depend on the one thing you can depend on. The word of God. Remember his promises. God's promise. Is as good as done. My mom had asked me. Earlier in this Bible study, they were going through Isaiah 53, which talks about Jesus and, you know, that he would be the 
the lamb slain and by his wounds we were healed and it talks past tense and somebody asked the question in the bible study why does why does god use the past tense in isaiah if it hasn't even happened yet sounds like he's talking about something in the past how could he be talking about something in the future and this is why when god speaks his word because he knows it's so sure it's as good as done he can always talk in the past tense because even before it's happened he said i will save you he could say i've saved you even though it hasn't happened yet why because he's made that promise it will get done if god said it it is true and so that's what you could depend on man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of god desire this eat this drink this live on this we know more than ever that words can be distorted in our day and age it just takes one tweet it just takes one somebody else talking to twist but god's word will never be twisted he will never use it to to trick you he uses it to assure you of his love for you his care for you that he's come to save you he's never promised that in this life it's going to be easy he's just always said no matter easy or hard i will be with you listen to me listen to me let your heart be stayed on the lord let your heart have perseverance let your heart be steadfast. This morning, as you come to the house of the Lord, it's just like Hezekiah. But you can come here and just say, well, I'm just coming. I'm just going to throw a bunch of singing and, you know, the time and check that off my list of having put some my rear end in the pew for a little while. God doesn't care about those things so much as he says, when you're here, just give me your heart. If you walk out those doors and you, you never offered your heart back to him, then all this is meaningless. When you come and you say, here's my heart, he says, now I can get to work. Now I'll show you my love. I'll show you my grace and my mercy. I'll show you my power. And guess what? Through you, in the midst of those circumstances, he might be using that to get to somebody else, that person in your Bible study, that person in your Sunday school, that person of work who's watching you in those difficult circumstances and saying, and the God that that person serves is powerful. Sounds like he loves him. So stay there on God. Keep your heart there on God. We're going to be able to see what happens here with Hezekiah through the rest of the story and how God delivered them. It's awesome. And it's just as awesome that the ways he's going to deliver you. So trust him. Father, this morning as we close, we thank you for your word. Lord, that these wouldn't just be fairy tales and stories that you've packed into a book for our entertainment. That they might just be uh, classified as a as a fable, these were actual things that we could learn from because you're an actual God who loves us. And you have told us that we should see the reality of how much you care for us, that you've promised to care for us and to help us in a time of need. Father, we ask forgiveness for the many times in our hearts when we have doubted you. And in our doubt that that's taken us to a place of placing our heart's trust into something else and worshiping those other things. Help us not to be idolatrous, but help us to stand strong against the enemy. This battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against powers and principalities in the heavenly places that we cannot even see. 
It's against our own sin and against temptation. So we pray for your strength. Help our hearts, Lord, to stand firm. That we might look at your word and trust it, believe it, know it's true. Even when the whole world questions it. Lord, we thank you for your love. We pray this in Jesus' name.